Welcome to Job Tales, the podcast where you find dozens of interviews and learn about your potential future favorite job. My guest today is Ian Tingen, social scientist at Tingen Industries. In the next 25 minutes, you will learn about Ian's path from his early engineering studies to a postgraduate experience in psychology, with snippets of deep quantitative psych and industrial organization psychology. Ian Tingen, uh, thank you so much because uh, you are uh, staying late, up late, and I am waking up early, <laughs> the beauty of uh, globalization. So thank you for being uh, here in my podcast, and I would like to ask you to comment on your title. So you are a social scientist, but you also define yourself as a CEO social scientist. Yes, yes, and it's a pleasure to be here, Lara. I'm a CEO social scientist, which is really just a fancy way of saying a management consultant uh, who came into it via entrepreneurship and a background in social and personality psychology. I've been working since graduate school, I've been working for myself uh, one way or another for, oh my goodness, a bit over 10 years now. So yeah, I've, I've got this kind of fusion of entrepreneurial spirit Uh, and, and, and social and personality psychology. And that's kind of what led me to that, that title that, and and it's really easy to search on LinkedIn. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that's a very good point, and that brings me to your. Uh, so you're a CEO of your own company, is it mm-hmm. Tingen Industries? Okay, correct. Yes. So what do you do at your company, or what is your company about? Yeah. So at Tingen Industries, we use social science to ask and answer the most important questions facing individuals, businesses, and society. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty wide ambit, but that's one of the great things about having a background in psychology. Right. Anything that really yeah. has to do with human hearts or minds is something that we can touch or work with or improve on. You know, that that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting use of words. You're talking about industries and in your new book for kinds of capital. So there's capital, there's industries. Uh, why this choice of vocabulary? That's a great question. Mostly because I want to pay attention to the idea that, again, you know, with this background that I have, not everyone is going to come at understanding through this kind of very stuffy academic way of looking at the world. Everyone does have to work, generally speaking, though. (laughs) And and when it comes to, you know, uh, four kinds of capital, right, a lot of people understand at least one kind of capital that they have to deal with, usually financial capital. But, you know, broadening that a little bit, trying to put a lot of this stuff that I learned in my, my academic teaching and, you know, and now kind of in my applied real world experience, trying to put it in ways that are a lot more accessible for more people because fundamentally that's mm. really what we want to do is we want to to make all this powerful stuff in psychology accessible for as many people as possible. Yeah, okay. And can you just briefly tell me what are the four kinds of capital so that while we're here while we're here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, the four <laughs> kinds of capital are uh, financial. Everyone kind of understands what that is. Yeah. You know, money, instruments to transfer wealth. Uh, then there is psychological capital, which talks mm-hmm. about the kind of cognitive, emotional, experiential capital that we have grow and create. There's social capital, which mm-hmm. is a really powerful and important kind of capital. You know, the stuff that kind of sticks us together socially and interpersonally. 
usually grown in the long term, spent in the short term. And then there's uh, the last kind, and in a lot of ways, the most important kind, because it's the one that we can't make any more of. That's temporal capital, time. Temporal, okay, which is limited by definition. Yeah, or limited by, by definition. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the thing, right? Sometimes people like to tell themselves or, or they get told that, you know, you can, you know, you've got all the time in the world. But I believe that for a lot of people living in this kind of like post worst of the pandemic world, that uh, temporal capital is really the one thing that we should be paying the most attention to that we, we don't have infinite amounts of, you know, all of us are on kind of a limited mm. supply and we don't know how much we've got left. So we should really be taking that into account, whether we're an individual or an institution. Okay. So from the moment we are born, there's a, there's a countdown, right? On, mm-hmm. on time. Is Absolutely. it, is it time related to one's life or is it time related also to other dimensions about life? You know, there's, <laughs> It's actually a great question. I don't think I've ever had anyone kind of phrase it like that. As far as being related to life, yes, absolutely. It's it's your life, but it's also kind of the the life you have to, you know, kind of live and think and do and be the most effectively that you can, right? Yeah. Uh, we all have a limited amount of time, but within that amount of time, there's, you know, we're only going to be fully capable and active and brilliant and bright for even a smaller portion of that. So mm-hmm. really kind of understanding, you know, when we're at our best, how we're at our best and what we're doing with that time, right? Right. To be most efficient. I, I, I hear you. And it's actually af- affects a lot also, you know, everybody's life and my life as well. When I, I find myself, you know, in the last 20 years, uh, the pre-social media time, the pre-mobile phone time and uh, or smartphone time, where I have the impression we had more time. And yes. then now everything is compressed into this, those same 24 hours. But because we can do so much more, time is compressed and it kind of becomes a, a pressure cooker <laughs> where mm-hmm. you compress it as much as possible. And then I don't know if we do enjoy it by the fact that we can do more or mm-hmm. whether we should or or our life would be better if we did less but with more quality than quantity. What do you think? Yeah, well, that, I mean, and that's that's kind of why I that's kind of why I wrote the book, kind of why I made the the decision deck, right? Is that I think that for every person, every institution, you know, the answer to you know, should I be doing more? Should I should I be focusing on quality? Is a little bit different, right? And at different points in our life, that answer can change, right? Yeah. But fundamentally, we have to be considering. You know, we have to be considering time, right? Instead of just, instead of, you know, just kind of like hitting, hitting the grind or, you know, doing that hashtag grind set thing that so many people seem to be kind of really into, it doesn't really help you consider time. And, and that's what you fundamentally, in, in order to take it into consideration, we have to be aware that it's something we should take into consideration. Totally. Um, see the point. So. All that is great because it gives us, you know, a nice uh, overview of who you are, where you stand today. Now, going back into your past, what did you do? Like, what, you know, after your teens, you know, what what did you know about yourself? Like, what do you know that you would want to do in life? That's a great question. So, (laughs) thank you for (laughs) that. No, it's, it's, uh, 
I, I, I reflect on this every so often, and I'm, I'm so thankful to come to have come to this point through this kind of weird and wonderful path that I took. Right. You know, uh, yeah. in my family, I was the first one to, to go to college, let alone go to any sort of, you know, PhD program or anything like that. My father was uh, actually an air conditioning mechanic and my mom was kind of like the secretary for the company and, you know, stayed home, helped, uh, you know, take care of me and my sisters. One of the things that I knew that I wanted to do in my teenage years was, work really hard with my head, <laughs> you know, spending a lot of time okay. with my dad working in the Arizona sun for, for anyone who's unfamiliar with, with Arizona here in the, the, the U S it's, it's got many, I think we're there at like 130 days above a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I'm really pale. I know that this is a podcast, but I'm, I'm very pale. <laughs> I am, okay. I am, <laughs> I am not someone who uh, looks like they should be in, in the desert sun. And so, you know, I got a healthy respect for, for doing manual labor. And I learned a lot of wonderful people skills, you know, being out there working with my dad, but I, I knew that I wanted to do something with, with my brain more than I did with my hands. Not, not because there was anything wrong with manual labor, but because I just was constantly fascinated by the world and all sorts of cool things that were happening. And I loved trying to understand how things worked. Um, and that's eventually what led me into electrical and computer engineering uh, for my first major at my first mm. university. I think as, as we were talking about a little bit <laughs> before the show, mm -hmm. that that's not where I ended up. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if it's if it's okay to tell a little bit of that that story about how I actually yeah. kind of came to psychology. So I, I like to tell people that I got into psychology because I got caught in my first riot in Tucson, Arizona <laughs> in the spring <laughs> of 2001. Like I said, I was a I was an electrical and computer engineering major um, and was was doing that. But the school that I went to University of Arizona for the for the first my first freshman year. Uh, had a, this great basketball program. It was a very well-known uh, school, Point Guard U. Lots of great NBA players have come out of U of A. Anyway, the, the freshman year that I was there, they were in the uh, NCAA men's final. And, you know, in, in Tucson, they're a big basketball town around the U. And so, you know, everyone watches the game. And long story short, U of A loses, right? And the game was te televised and I, I got to... Big tragedy. Know, well, no, for really a, a big tragedy. What I would come to find out was a big tragedy, right? You know, yeah. um, because, you know, I in, in the, the game afterwards, like, you know, everyone kind of shuffled out into this this area downtown, you know, the the kind of the hip area with like the bars and, you know, where, where all the college kids hung out, that sort of place. What eventually unfolded there across, you know, probably like four or five hours after the game was that uh, a gathering of people that was a, a little bit feisty ended up turning into some people taking down like a light pole and flipping a car here or there, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which then uh, invited a police presence uh, that, you know, this kind of amplified over time, you know, and I got caught in the middle of it. Like by the time I realized what was going on, and I was trying to leave the area, everything had kind of been barricaded in. Like you, you couldn't like get off the side streets or anything. I'd try and go off and there'd be a barrier up and police telling me to go back towards the, the throng of people that were getting more and more agitated. 
uh, about halfway through this while I'm just like literally hiding off on the side street in behind like a semi trailer. There's a, another woman that's hiding there and we're like, oh, hey, you look like you're sane. And yeah, you look like you're sane. We're and we're not part of that mess. Let's try and avoid that. It turns out that she was uh, a reporter for the Associated Press and she was like, oh, man, I was just here to I was just here to cover the game and like the crowd sentiment. And it's turned into this I'm like, wow, that's it's a hell of a scoop <laughs> you've, you're about to have here. You know, we end up in this parking lot eventually trying to avoid everything. And there's a news van, you know, one of those uh, satellite trucks that they have to that, you know, broadcast on site. And while we're looking around for our next place to go, the back door, of this this van just opens up and uh, this guy just like, hey, come on, you two over here. Right. And so we scurry over and we get into the back of the van and the guy closes the door and there's a few people in there. Right. Like a couple of producers. And then this woman who I notice is, you know, she's an anchor on the local nightly news. Right. And she must mm-hmm. be like, OK, she must have been deployed on site. And uh, she's usually this very composed and this this very, you know, this this very news like figure, right? And she is cursing yeah. up a storm, and, <laughs> okay. and she's uh, and she's you know I noticed that her legs are have a little bit of blood on them, and and her her tights are a little bit shredded, and it's because you know there was a, a concussion grenade they had said had been kind of tossed towards them and had like thrown gravel up from the parking lot into her legs while they were trying to record like an on site, uh, like an on site like live report. So that made you, yeah. Yeah, that made so, you uh, feel like why do people act like this? Why do people act like this? How do we have so much happening in such a short period of time? Where you know I've gone from this you know kind of sleepy college town that's really passionate about sports to cursing news anchor uh, <laughs> in a van <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with people that I've never ever met in my life who are who are coming together to shelter me and each other. You know there mm-hmm. there were so many things that happened in such a rapid space of time. I wanted to understand how people worked more than anything in that. And that's what kind of set me on the trajectory that I've, I've been on since. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then in the meantime, you were in your engineering years. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So what did you do? Did you just quit the engineering studies? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, much uh, to the delight of your parents. Well, y- you know, uh, it, it was interesting, right? Because, you know, one of the other things that kind of pushed me in the direction of, of psychology was, you know, I was very, I enjoyed doing the engineering work, right? But one of the other things was I had mentioned I was the first one in my family to go to college. And something that, you know, I was understanding at that point in my life was that I was not, I had not necessarily been acculturated to understand that part of the world, right? I had this very kind of mm working class mentality, which again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with, but it's not something that everyone who goes to college has. And it's not something that everyone kind of understands culturally. So, you know, I had gone from being in the top end of my high school classes, you know, top like 3% of students or whatever, to getting into this really great honors program. And, you know, essentially being very politely asked to leave the program, (laughs) Uh, at the mm. end of my first year, because, you know, I, I was doing the classwork, but it wasn't not everything was clicking for me culturally. So there was something else that was, you know, on a personal level, it's like, well, why, like, I was told college was this and this, but it's really this and this. And like, I, I just didn't have the kind of the, the cultural training, the, the acculturation, the mindset at that point in my mm-hmm. life. And so, 
you know, actually when, when my first year ended, uh, I think it was the best thing for everyone that I was, I was leaving that particular program in that particular school. You know, my parents said, well, what trade are you going to learn? And I said, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, well, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'll figure it out. And so, you know, I, I, I just worked in a number of different jobs uh, at that point. You know, it took a few years to kind of figure things out, figure out what kind of acculturation I did need, figure out what I really wanted to be doing. And that's what led me back to psychology. But in the interim, you know, I worked in everything from property management to banking to kind of event production. I was in a bunch of, of terrible punk and metal bands for a hot oh, minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so interesting. Did, did a lot of exploration. It sounds like a lot like my kind of life, my my professional past, also trying to explore. And this is why I do the podcast. It's it's to help others, especially the young people, really get a sample of what's out there, but from a personal perspective, you know, like what can I do professionally then? And then everybody's path is different, but also not uh, one path is right or wrong. So mm-hmm. it's it's about your personal journey to what you want to become and actually you are already what you're becoming in my mm-hmm. opinion so mm-hmm. it's when you know looking at your punk years <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, or you know working in a property management or events and you know tell me uh, what you think but it's it's kind of um, helping build who you are and giving you skills that maybe you might have not gained had you just studied engineering or had you just studied social science what is your experience in that yeah absolutely it's a process right living in the the world of work and living as an individual you know it is a i find that it's best lived as a constant process and and not one that is understood as stagnant right and so mm. you know bouncing around through different academic programs bouncing around through different jobs i i saw that as a as a process of you know, learning about myself and creating myself, right? Every, every job that I had, every different class that I took, you know, I tried to see it as not only, you know, me doing work for pay or me learning about a new uh, subject, but using it as a way to kind of reflect on, well, what do I think about this? How does this make me think about my place in the world? How does this make me think about, you know, existing differently? Right. What what can I what mm-hmm. can I learn? What can I see? What can I know? And I know that not everyone is is built for that, you know, and that's totally mm-hmm. fine. But but for me, every new endeavor that I undertook was essentially a, another mirror that got me to illuminate another angle of existing. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned social science. So I know about your engineering studies <laughs> and psych you mentioned psychology. So did you study further? Like, did you do social science studies with psychology or did you, are you self-learned? Yeah. So my, my formal schooling was, you know, the, the engineering. And then uh, when I went back to school, I eventually settled on uh, psychology and sociology for kind of my undergraduate degrees. And then I went to a PhD program uh, in social and personality psychology. Uh, okay. with, a, with a minor in quantitative psych. So, you know, kind of that nerdy stats method stuff, which which is so cool uh, in so many ways. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, when when I came into the world of, of work, the thing that I like to say is that, you know, go through my PhD training and then I had to get a whole nother PhD worth of training outside mm. of the university. What? 
to understand how to apply all of that very esoteric theory and all of that kind of like really uh, well developed, you know, you know, decades long set of of studies and ideas and and figure out how to make it matter to the outside world <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah there, there's a difference between theory and application and application um, <laughs> yeah quantitative psych can you just briefly mention you know what is it yeah qu quantitative psych uh I mean, and and please, any anyone else out there who's got like a quant background, uh, don't kill me for being reductive with the field. But long story short, quantitative psych is is kind of the way that we take human uh, thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and feelings, and turn them into kind of essentially numbers and things that we can measure, uh, ways that we can kind of understand and quantify. Uh, mm. those things in the quest to kind of describe, explain, and predict behavior, thoughts, feelings, emotions, things like that. So yeah. How, how do you take an okay. emotion? How do you take a, an action? How do you turn it into a number? And how do you understand that number in a meaningful way towards a meaningful end? How does it relate to behavioral science or behavioral economics, for example? It's kind of <laughs> like it... Behavioral ec does not exist in its modern form without that kind of quantitative, that okay. quantitative angle, right? You know, it's it is really mm -hmm. the foundation of of. It's a foundation. Of, okay, mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah, okay. Though, so you've done all your studies, uh, even more, <laughs> more so. And uh, when did you start actually practicing? Did you go straight into being independent with your Tingen Industries, or were you working for someone else? That, that's a great question. So I, I kind of got my start working on things. I had this really fantastic advisor in my my undergraduate time, a guy named Greg Neidert. And Greg was someone who taught at the university, taught industrial organizational psychology, but he also had a, a company on the side. And one of the things that he did that I will be forever appreciative of was he encouraged his students to look for like contracts and RFPs and things that we could use our skills on, right? And so mm -hmm. I actually, through one of his classes and, and through his guidance, ended up getting a small, small contract with a couple of friends of mine where we did some research for the Arizona Motor Vehicle Division. And I did this mm -hmm. as an undergraduate and NIDERT kind of showed us how to uh, apply for it and, and get through the entire process and we got it. So my, my first experience actually was before I had any sort of credential Right. It's when I was in this uh, wonderful kind of supervised capacity at Arizona State. And then afterwards, I, I kind of started Tingent Industries on the side while I was in graduate school to okay. start picking up like consulting gigs or, you know, whatever would come my way. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I yeah. did know that psychology was really cool and can do so much for so many different organizations and industries. So, you know, I kind of started and then mm -hmm. right out of grad school, I had a job that was doing actually environmental behavioral consulting. And then after that, I went into entertainment, but I always had Tingent Industries on the side. Uh, okay. after, that, after that entertainment job, then I kind of started doing the Tingent Industries stuff and, and other companies that I started more full-time. Okay. And now you do, you do full-time in Tingent Industries. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Because time is running. Uh, what are <laughs> your... <laughs> I have so many more questions, but... I guess, what have you learned along the way, you know, that maybe the younger crowd could be benefiting from, you know, to save some time and maybe sorrows? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there's there's two things that have been really key. Number one is to understand that there is a difference between knowing something and being influential with it, right? Uh, a lot of times people who go through a, a kind of a, a more theoretically heavy training you know, get this idea. It's like, oh, well, I know how these things work. And so it's great. And I can just take that out there and like, I'll tell people how things work and it'll be perfect. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's not how it works necessarily, right? You, you have to not only be able to understand why things work, but you also have to be able to assess, you know, how that message will be received in the world. You have to understand how to tell that story in a meaningful and compelling way. And you also have to understand that not everyone is going to want to hear that story. And so it's for anyone who's going to be taking this kind of approach to the world, be sure to craft not only your your knowledge, but be be sure to understand the importance of storytelling and influence and when and where to push on that power, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, and this is something I think is going to be really, really important going forward into a future that AI is going to help shape, is that the approach of centering the end user in everything you think about and do and design is so important, right? Centering your ideas about trying to understand when people use my product, when people use my service, when people use this thing that I'm helping design, like what is their experience going to be with it? And and mastering that relationship and building from there instead of treating it as like a secondary outcome to a, a profit margin or a, you know, a minimum viable product. Great, great remark, great suggestion. Um, anything else you would like to say in the last 30 seconds of our interview? Thank you so much. I wish we had another half hour to talk. This has been fantastic. And, you know, anyone who's out <laughs> there, here. anyone who's out there who's thinking about going it on their own, you know, don't don't be afraid of doing that. And don't be afraid of seeing your path to wherever you're going as a complete path. It's okay to get out there. It's okay to do things. It's okay to try them. It's okay to fail. And it's okay to succeed. You know, just embrace it all because that's what you really need to build a, a successful future. And on that note, I thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you, Ian. Of course. My pleasure. And on that note, let me end with much happiness as in one minute, Ian summarized the essence of my podcast. Don't be afraid to explore. Embrace it all. See your path to wherever you're going as a complete path. It's okay to try things. It's okay to fail. And it's okay to succeed. Rendezvous to next week. Ciao for now.